Hello, everyone. This is Draven Makova, and this is my podcast, Lessons from History, where I look for opportunities in the past, decisions that were made, or people who lived and their lives made a difference in our lives. Today, my presentation is about a person, the writer of fear and the macabre, an author's writing that has the power to create anxiety and fear in the reader, yet leaves us with a thirst to read more. And for some of us, leaves never-ending memories of what we've experienced through the writer's words. I hope you enjoy my review of Edgar Allan Poe. And if you listen through the entire episode, you'll find my production and reading of The Telltale Heart, one of his most memorable pieces of writing. So come now, join me as we step into the world of Edgar Allan Poe. Draven Mutkova, Edgar Allan Poe, the literary genius and the creator of dark suspense. Edgar Allan Poe was an American short story writer, poet, critic, and editor who is famous for his cultivation of mystery, fear, anxious dilemmas, and the macabre. His influence the development of American society in several major ways. In this blog post, I will present several of his recognized contributions to society, his famous works, and subtle hints at the meanings of some of his most well-known pieces. One of Poe's most significant contributions to society was his creation of the mystery genre. His tell, The Mystery of the Rue Morgue, written in 1841, initiated the modern detective story. He grew inspiration from its own hard life to create what was recognized today as the mystery detective genre of literature. Poe also became one of the first successful transatlantic authors. His works marked a shift from emulating British culture to creating a new U.S. culture in writing and interest in the genre. His writings have influenced everything from films and television shows, comic books, and animated cartoons. My belief is that Poe's impact on American popular culture cannot be denied. Poe's short stories and poetry greatly influenced the French symbolist of the late 19th century, who in turn expanded the reach and altered the direction of modern literature. He is regarded in literary history and handbooks as the architect of the modern short story being recognized as a principal frontrunner of the art for art's sake movement in 19th century European literature. For me, this movement was all about the thought that art should not be judged on its relationship to social, political, or moral values, but purely for its formal and aesthetic qualities. Poe's contemporaries, including creative writers like Nathaniel Hawthorne, whose works Poe reviewed and admired, Herman Melville, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who Poe did not like and to whom he was rather insulting in a review. 
The Raven is a narrative poem by Edgar Allan Poe that is often noted for its musicality, stylist language, and supernatural atmosphere. It tells of a distraught lover who is paid a mysterious visit by a talking raven. The lover, often identified as a student, is lamenting the loss of his love, Leonora. Sitting on a bust of Pallas, a son of the Titans in Greek mythology, Raven seems to further antagonize the protagonist with its constant repetition of the word, Nevermore. The Raven itself is a complex and versatile symbol, representing various qualities such as intelligence, resourcefulness, danger, and transformation. Different cultures and mythologies have assigned unique meanings to the raven, with some considering it a harbinger of death and others a trickster or messenger. In the context of the poem, Nevermore becomes an increasingly harrowing response to the student's own fears and longing. In addition to the raven, Poe had many other famous works. Some of his most famous short stories include The Fall of the House of Usher, the Mask of the Red Death. He is also credited with inventing the modern detective story with his 1841 tale, The Murders and the Rue Morgue. Poe also wrote many famous poems, including Annabelle Lee and Lenore. His critical theory includes The Poetic Principle, published posthumously, and compiles several of his literary theory lectures. Poe wrote one novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. The poem makes use of folk, mythological, religious, and classical references. Poe claimed to have written the poem logically and methodically with the intention to create a poem that could appeal to both critical and popular taste. As he explained in his 1846 follow-up essay, The Philosophy of Composition. The poem was inspired in part by a talking raven in the novel Barnaby Rudge, a tale of the riots of 80 by Charles Dickens. The Telltale Heart is another famous work by Edgar Allan Poe. It is a short story related by an unnamed narrator who endeavors to convince the reader of his sanity while simultaneously describing, well, well, I guess this short story should be not be reviewed here because I'm going to read it for you on my podcast that is noted by the name The Telltale Heart. In conclusion, Edgar Allan Poe has made significant contributions to society through his creations of mystery genre literature, his transatlantic successes, his influence on popular culture, his influence on literature, his famous works such as The Raven and the Telltale Heart, and many others. He remains an important figure in American literature whose legacy continues to inspire new generations and go along with my podcast that you can listen to at Lessons from History. I have no idea what this world would be like without the writings of Edgar Allan Poe. Though his writings are often viewed as dark works with sinister endings, his ability and style of looking into the human heart, mind, and psyche is paramount to the writing style of the world that followed him. The Tell Tell Heart Edgar Allan Poe
published in 1843. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous. I had been and am. Why will you say that I am mad? The disease has sharpened my senses, not destroyed, yet dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How, then, am I mad? Hearken, and observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain. But once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion, there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture, a pale blue vulture, with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man, and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, and what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed so that no light shone out and then I thrust in my head oh you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in and I moved it slowly very very slowly so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep it took me an hour to place my whole head within that opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon the bed would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously. Oh, so cautiously. Cautiously. For the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights every night just at midnight but i found the eye always closed and so it was impossible to do the work for it was not the old man who vexed me but his evil eye
And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone, and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed, to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my psychic seat. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. Think that there I was opening the door little by little and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved in the bed slowly, as if startled. Now, you may think that I drew back, <laughs> but no. His room was as black as pitch with a thick darkness, for the shutters were closed, fastened, through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening and the old man sprang up in the bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quiet and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle. In the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief. Oh no, it was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I say, I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt, and I pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them costless, but could not. He'd been saying to himself, it's nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crying the floor. Or, it's merely a cricket which has made a slight chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain. All in vain, because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim, and he was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room.
when I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, 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 until at length a single dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot from out of the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open. Wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue, with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon that damned spot. Have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could to maintain that ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now at the dead hour of night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder and louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffed sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If still you think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. 
I cut off the head, and the arms, and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. He had been too wary for me. A tub had caught all. <laughs> when I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men, who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicions of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled. For what had I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man I mentioned was absent in the country. I take my visitors all over the house. I bade them search. Search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest for their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my search triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ear, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. Yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound. Much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I rose and argued about trifles, in a high key and with violent gestulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting, 
and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, louder, louder. I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty oh, God, no, no. They heard. They suspected. They knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now, again, hark. Louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Assemble me no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It is the beating of his hideous heart. Thanks again for visiting me today. This is Draven Rikova with Lessons from History. Today's, of course, was Edgar Allan Poe. Take care, and I'll talk with you again. I think it was his eye. Edgar. Edgar. Edgar Allan Poe. Poe. Who's there? It's nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crying its door. The telltale heart. Edgar, Edgar, Edgar. Draven, Draven Cove. It's merely a cricket which has made a slight chirp. Edgar Allan Poe. Draven Mokova. <laughs>